Hi everyone, my name's Lee Fitzroy and I'm the Coordinator of Sexual Harm Prevention and it's my great pleasure to be your host for the Deakin Diversity, Equity and Inclusion podcast. Prior to introducing today's topic and our guests, I'd like to acknowledge the Wadawurrung people, the traditional custodians of the land on which I'm currently standing, and I would like to acknowledge Elders past, present and emerging and thank them for their care and custodianship of the land and the waterways. In this podcast, we focus on the important role male leaders play in building, maintaining and role modelling a respectful, safe and inclusive work and study environment at Deakin. To help us explore this complex topic, I've invited Dr. John Fox and Matthew Constable to talk about their work at Deakin, their views on gender equality and the role of men as leaders across the university. So hi, John. Thank you so much for agreeing to participate in this podcast. We really appreciate your time and commitment to the work of the diversity, equity and inclusion team at Deakin. As I mentioned in the introduction, we're really interested in your experience and your insight the role of men as allies and role models at Deakin in relation to issues such as gender equality and gendered violence. So, John, can you tell us a bit about your professional background and your work and role at Deakin? Certainly. Um, Firstly, I just want to say I'm grateful to be here and to be able to make a contribution. In terms of my work here at Deakin, it really has two dimensions. First, as an academic, as a lecturer in the critical tradition of social work, and that critical tradition is really centred around concerns with power and liberation. The second aspect of my work is really about service, supporting staff and students. And again, that's around similar concerns about power and liberation through things like being an LGBTQI ally, a harassment and discrimination contact officer, a health and safety rep. And recently I've taken over the role as chair of the health faculty's health wellbeing and safety committee. Okay. I wasn't aware of all these different aspects of your work, John. Can you tell us a bit about how you came into this space? In terms of my own history, as a teenager growing up in the western suburbs of Sydney, one of the things that just puzzled and challenged and worried me was the existence of poverty in a place like Australia. Mm-hmm. That just simply didn't make sense to me. And it's a knot that I'm still trying to untangle. That led me to go, well, to be one of the first in my family to go to university. I studied law and sociology there, thinking I could somehow be a blue jeans lawyer advocating for the poor. I ended up working for 14 years as a lawyer. From there, because of my interest in consumer protection, I was headhunted to the Australian Security and Investment Commission, which was a new body at that time, Mm -hmm. to help set them up. And I found myself talking about poverty again. So that led me to return to studies, doing a master's in policy, then in social work and a doctorate in philosophy, working in community services, local government, and then from 2006, full-time in academia. Okay. So I guess one of the key themes that seems to run through all that history and your commitments, John, both as an academic and as a community activist, is that commitment to social change. And we've invited you to participate because we see you as a male leader in relation to issues of social change and gender equality. Do you see yourself as a leader? Is that a term that you would use in relation to these issues? And and how do you see male leadership? I've got to confess, I feel a little uncomfortable with the term leader. I, I, I love the like, fact that you've talked about that straight away. That's great. You know, I look, the for me, I'm just trying to do what's owed. And I emphasize mm-hmm. trying to. There's so much more to learn. And in the end, the term leader to me is a little too singular and individualistic. I think yeah. for me, I think about my work as service and stewardship. Because the kinds of ideals that we're talking about, human rights, social justice, gender equity, are a collective vision and product. And I learn and I take some of those things. And I have to care for them like a steward, but it's also about contributing, again, as part of a collective effort. 
Being within a university, I do think leadership is an appropriate term. I think the universities have a leadership role, you know, as a collectivity. You know, universities and within it as an academic, we have a public trust to draw on the knowledges that we know about, to again serve and to account. You know, I'm very conscious that I'm a cis, hetero, white, able-bodied man on Aboriginal land, enjoying advantages I didn't earn, like not having to worry about my safety when I go out. So I think my obligation is to work towards undoing those privileges mm -hmm. to serve. Yeah. And John, that level of mindfulness and aware of your power and privilege and how you can both unpack that and role model a different way of being a leader sort of invites the question of um, how you demonstrate that leadership as an individual, but also as part of the collective at the university. And also if you want to speak to other ways that you demonstrate leadership, because I, I think it is a, you know, it's a contested term, but I think it is an interesting thing for us to unpack about role modeling and being congruent across the university and putting your your principles into practice that's a set of complex questions in mm. terms of doing that in large part i think listening and learning from those who have suffered is a key part of that mm -hmm. particularly from those women who have suffered from patriarchy and heteronormativity my work at the least involves promoting awareness of what i've learned there and indeed what others have contributed to that knowledge but it's also about, in large part, trying to step out of the way to defer to women speaking of their experience. But when we start to talk about modeling different ways of being, it's also to learn that if we're going to address these issues, it's a relational issue. Justice is always relational. And it means that it's not merely focusing on those things that directly affect women, but also looking at changing what it means to be a man and yeah. changing some of the behaviors. So when we talk about modeling, I've always felt very comfortable in being a nurturing person. And I think emphasizing that and promoting it, emphasizing my own vulnerabilities, emphasizing that listening and allowing space for others, all of those things were important to model, not simply as characteristics that have often been associated with women, but as human characteristics. Mm. And John, these are such important conversations for us to have. How do we have some of these more complex conversations? How do we step to one side and step out of the way, which I think is a beautiful way of talking about a form of leadership, but also then obviously be an ally in some of these conversations? What's your response to the conversations that are happening in the media about gender, you know, the Me Too movement, the role of masculinity in relation to women's experiences of potentially men's behaviour that may be experiences discriminative or, or um, challenging? What's your response to some of those conversations and, and how they may have impacted on your work or some of the work that you do at Deakin? I think these movements that you're talking about are part of the work towards cultural change, that if we're working towards justice, if you like, you have to work on both sides of the equation, that gender equality and safety won't be achieved unless men change as well. And that work remains incomplete and it's difficult. You know, the roots of identity, be they gender, sexuality, race, class, ability, and so on, run deep. They're not add-ons like a piece of clothing that you can put on or easily take off. So that is complex work and it's work that is ongoing. And I think, you know, sometimes people talk about the use of men as allies in the space, which is such an important part of how you are, how we are going to achieve gender equality and, and change some of the culture. Have you ever experienced any backlash or resistance from your students, social work students or other students at the university or colleagues when you've talked about the initiatives to change culture? 
In terms of my work here at Deakin, or indeed my prior work in teaching social work students, I rarely have experienced any direct backlash. Rather, it's been the opposite. But that reflects the motivations for students coming to study something like social work with its emphasis on justice. And the reality is it also reflects the gendered character of the cohort. Most students who come to study social work are women. Mm-hmm. In that sense, by and large, what I've seen is the opposite of a backlash, rather a great deal of enthusiasm and validation and a hunger to extend those conversations. But I have, ex- I have seen resistances elsewhere, and I talk about the obvious kind. One, for example, when I was teaching at another university with a different kind of cohort of students where the students weren't studying something linked to the humanities or to health and the like. Let's just say it was engineering just to get a picture. And they saw these kind of studies as irrelevant. Mm. They were highly resistant. And whilst they didn't express that in the classroom, they did through the discussion boards. And there were a number of times where some very ugly, sexist conversations began to expand on the discussion boards. And in large part, that was because they'd been set up to allow anonymous posts. So one of the measures there was just to make sure that people had to identify and render themselves accountable Mm -hmm. to some of these debates around toxic masculinity and the like. Mm. There is the sense of saying, it's not me. It's not all men. It's about perpetuating what many people describe as the monster myth, that it's only a monster who engages in violence on women or others. Whereas in fact, we have to talk about some very deeply written aspects of masculinity. And so often I haven't seen backlash in terms of any overt or aggressive uh, resistance, but in terms of people defining the issues in such way that they don't recognize the links to gender inequity or the devaluation of certain things associated with women and enable themselves then to really not do the work. Yeah. I love the fact that you're talking about it being work, you know, and that people do have to engage in it. Given where I sit in diversity, equity, inclusion, and for our listeners, have you got any suggestions or advice for us at Deakin around um, building a safe and supportive environment for some of those robust conversations and to be able to do the work and contribute to creating a respectful and safe culture at the university, John? There are two things. Number one, there is immediate action that's required at a very practical level. The stats are out there. The risk of harm for women is extreme and immediate. Women are injured and die every day. We're past hesitation. The kind of measures in terms of just making sure that there's adequate security and surveillance on campus, that women have the capacity to contact security, need to be in place and pursued, but not just at an institutional level, but at an individual level, so that each of us on campus will become part of that surveillance and that support. Mm-hmm. More broadly, a university has the capacity to truly provide leadership at a social level, both internally and externally. And I think the main thing is for us to actually start dealing with some of that avoidance, if you like, the invisible backlash, where people define issues around gendered violence in a very narrow scope, thinking about, if you like, direct physical violence rather than the violence of marginalization, trivialization, stereotyping and the like, which is all part of the culture that makes people, makes women vulnerable and enables other kinds of violence. And we can do that. There are so many elements of different disciplines here that are talking about dealing with the underlying values that work towards gender inequality. So valuing collaboration and teamwork rather than individual achievement and competition, valuing things that are about care and sustainability rather than 
domination and competition. There's a whole range of different disciplines here that can actually be devoted towards the kind of fundamental cultural change. And that's about rendering visible the invisible structurings of inequity that run right through our culture. And if anything, a university is positioned to make that kind of contribution. Mm. John, I would love for you and I just to continue having this conversation because there's so many gems of wisdom in what you've said. And I do need to pull us to a close, but I want to take a moment to thank you for both your insights, your clarity, your commitment to social change, and also your willingness to participate, obviously, in a, a podcast that will be public and giving other people the opportunity to learn from your thoughts and your ideas. So thank you. We are going to pull this to a close. But if anyone um, wants to stay online, we are going to have a conversation with another guest next. But in the meantime, I want to, on behalf of our listeners and the Diversity, Equity, Inclusion team, Thank you, John. Thank you for taking time out from a really busy schedule to come and have a chat to me about these issues. And we really appreciate your time and generosity. Look, I'm grateful to you. This is the work we should all be committed to. Yeah. Thanks, John. Having spoken with John, I would now like to introduce our second guest, Matthew Constable. He's the Senior Executive Officer in the Research Division, and I'd like to welcome you, Matt, to this podcast. Thank you so much for joining us for this important conversation around male leadership. I know you're busy at this time of the year, so we really appreciate you taking time to join us and share your insights. Perhaps before we get into the serious questions, you could tell us a bit about yourself and how you came to Deakin. All right. Well, thanks, Lee. Um, pleasure to be here and I hope that the content that I provide is worthwhile. I guess I've had a bit of a variety of experiences uh, through life that have probably shaped who I am today. Starting with that, I guess I grew up in a youngest of a very large working class family and I had three brothers and five older sisters and that really did influence the way in which I saw the world. I did go to a, an all-boy Catholic school in Ballarat, which did also influence, um, I guess, my views and probably opposite to the way that they were kind of educated at that time. I've worked across a number of industries. So I started off, I um, completed a Bachelor of Food Science and Technology at um, Ballarat, but never actually worked in the uh, industry. I completely completed a research honours in cancer research and then started working in a lab-based researcher at the University of Melbourne, worked in the field of bone cell biology. Then following that, I completed a master's of business administration and then decided to go and work in industry. So I started off first in uh, Rip Curl in Torquay and then followed up by joining Alcoa Rolled Products here at uh, the Geelong Point Henry plant as a chemical and coating specialist. Then following the closure of the plant, I actually joined Bowen Health in a business improvement type role, working in the redesigning healthcare program and really focusing on the issues around patient access or consumer access and their experiences. In the middle of COVID, following the delivery of the vaccine rollout for the Southwest region, I actually was able to join Deakin in uh, this current role of the Senior Executive Officer. And it's been a very exciting and very challenging role since I've been uh, with Deakin and uh, looking forward to the future. Fantastic. Thanks, Matt. And there's so much in your work that I wasn't aware of. And I think given the diversity of some of the roles, it'll be really interesting to hear your reflections on men and male leadership in relation to social change and gender equality, which is kind of the topic of this podcast. Given the work that you're doing in research, do you want to tell us a bit about the research division or your role in the division at Deakin? 
So the simplest explanation of my role is it exists to support researchers to do what they do best, which is research. We do this by improving the services and the supports that are available to them through Deakin Research. There's a number of business as usual activities that we manage, including you know, annual reporting processes for the research entities and faculties and um, independent research institutes. And there's a number of special activities that we do within its defined timeframe. So one of those things that we've been running over the last two years since I've been with Deakin is the support for researchers that have been impacted by COVID-19. So that includes analysing the different uh, researchers going across the university and then to hold some in-depth conversations with those um, researchers that we've identified as at risk. And those would be ones that have had uh, limited access to facilities or human participants or uh, supply chain disruptions. And then we work with them to identify how Deakin Research can support them financially to um, mitigate these uncontrollable impacts. We've also just recently run the Strategic Research and Innovation Centre Call for Applications, which is a triennial event now that we're going to run. And that is really to look at the new up and coming research groups across the university and provide them the support and platforms so they can actually build on their research. And that's um, the way in which we develop centres and then towards institutes. It's a busy role, Matt, and it obviously has lots of different elements. If we can... I can go on. <laughs> yes, I'm sure you could, but I'm going to I'm gonna pull you in and ask you a bit about leadership because, you know, one of the things that we're interested in your insights in is how you view leadership in relation to gender equality, obviously either speaking from broad experience or from the research space, but really the different ways men and women can show leadership around gender equality, how you demonstrate leadership around those issues would be really really interested in your feedback around that, Matt. I guess as far as, um, you know, you talk about leadership, as I mentioned, uh, this is really the first opportunity now that I've had a deacon to have a team. Most of my roles in recent history have been around project management, which is not a direct leadership role, but it's a really a role where you need to work through influence to be able to achieve what you need to achieve in the time frame. And coming through that uh, particular work, I interact with a very diverse range of people and and demonstrating my male leadership and in terms of gender equality and social change is just my interactions that I have with people on a daily basis. You know, I don't really see gender in what I do. What I see is a variety of people with different skills and capabilities, and we all work hard to deliver beneficial outcomes for others. Yeah, uh, that's a great point, Matt, in terms of seeing people as humans and acknowledging the diverse experiences that people bring and the diverse needs, depending on parts of their identity. I guess we are interested in issues around gender, picking up on what you've said, but I'm going to ask you a bit around whether you see a role that you've played or you've seen other men play in allyship for women in the workplace, acknowledging that there is gender equality and you know how we can sort of find ways that you may or others may have made a difference as men who show leadership and have authority in spaces at Deakin? I guess, um, Lee, for many of us, we grew up in a time where there was really gender-defined roles in growing up and that was just socially acceptable. It's about overcoming those preconceived ideas and that are ingrained from us in a young age in our home and in social environments. And, um, you know, everyone being considered equals regardless of any difference, whether it be racial or gender or other. 
And I think that every person and every leader can make a difference. And how I see men that play a key role is as leaders is to demonstrate to others that discrimination is not acceptable, no matter what form it takes. Um, it's important for male leaders to demonstrate to other males that it's not okay to treat others disrespectfully or discriminate on the basis of gender, um, that everyone has equal opportunity to be successful. Yeah, that's a lovely, lovely response, Matt, and something that we would certainly support as well in terms of being able to create a safe and respectful environment at work, regardless of who you are. I guess we're interested in exploring your response to some of the broader conversations that are sort of happening in society around gender identity, use of pronouns and people's diverse identities, the Me Too movement, and also some of the terminology around toxic masculinity in relation to women's experience of men's violence. These are quite detailed conversations and they're quite emotive, so we're very aware of that. But I'm wondering whether what your response is to some of those and whether they impact on your work at Deakin or any ways that you may engage with those topics through your work or through the world that you live in. Yeah, thanks, Lee. Um, as far as me too, um, I think it was an atrocious abuse of power to people throughout history, you know, including the Harvey Weinsteins and the Jeffrey Epsteins. I remember hearing an interview with Ian McCallum at the time talking about um, it was just the thing that happened with the director's couch in the past. And I don't know if he was trying to justify these behaviours historically or what, but it's just not acceptable no matter how you try to frame it. Media and government have a big part to play in this and supporting these movements, and often that can be lacking. I mean, we can just look to uh, previous history in the US government, for example. We need to move on from uh, discriminations which have been perpetuated by religion and government. The community needs to stand up and make our voices really clear. You know, a great example of this is the tragic circumstances that have underpinned the recent protests in Iran and how religion or theology can be used to repress people based on gender or racial differences. It's despicable and it's just no longer acceptable in a modern age. And the free media is the way in which we can give life to these repressions. Mm. Um, Thanks. Thanks, Matt. So what you've talked about is such a lovely overview around your support for ways of working that address discrimination. I'm interested whether you've ever experienced or whether you're aware of any resistance or backlash from other students or colleagues, because sometimes it's really hard for men to stand up against traditional masculinist ways of being and sexist behaviours and beliefs. So I'm just wondering whether you've bumped up against any of that through your work and whether you've res- how you've responded to some of those issues. Yeah, thanks, Lee. I mean, look, I know it exists and maybe it's, um, you know, the, re- the roles I've had most recently within Barwon Health and Deakin, but I haven't really experienced it too much firsthand. And maybe that's because um, those particular organisations have very strong cultures about what's actually acceptable and what's not. And people are kind of weeded out before they get to my realm of influence, where I might be involved in a project or so forth. And, you know, look, that that is the responsibility of, the, of all organisations to ensure that, you know, we recruit and, or attract and recruit and retain the people that are aligned to our cultures and values. Yeah, and that's a great reflection on organisational culture, isn't it? And being able to see positive change that's happened over time in how organisations create safe and supportive environments, regardless of someone's gender or sexual identity. But maybe, Matt, do you have any suggestions or advice for us in the diversity, equity and inclusion team in terms of the work that we're doing, trying to prevent sexual harm at Deakin or other forms of discrimination or abuse against members of our community? 
I think um, I've touched on it. There's probably three things to really consider. You know, it's the organisational context, the individual context and the community context. Organisations have an obligation to ensure that, you know, structures exist to create a supportive environment and to prevent discrimination occurring. So it also needs to be enshrined in the values of the culture of the organisation. And this should impact the way in which we um, also interact, recruit and promote individuals within that organisation. And I think Deacon does a reasonable job in that space. But like everything, there is more that you can do. As for individuals, I think um, if you see something, say something. It's also important to remember that those that are subject to discrimination or violence may not know what to do. Mm. Um, so we need to take the leading hand and actually say something. Yeah, um, that's and, a great, yeah. great reminder about the need to step up and show leadership and take some responsibility to be an active bystander if if appropriate and, and sort of if it fits the circumstance. So, Matt, we've come to the end of our conversation. I've been really tight with time and I know we could have continued to chat about these topics for a long time. I'd like to thank you. It's been lovely to both hear your thoughts and advice about the issues. And I also think it's just so fabulous to have different people speaking about social change across the university, which is why we're doing these podcasts. So thank you, Matt. Thanks to all our listeners for taking time to listen to the podcast. Please don't hesitate to let us know if you've got any questions or feedback. You can certainly email us, respect at deacon.edu.au. And because we are talking about sexual harm in this podcast, I do want to remind you that if you found any of the content of this podcast distressing, please do seek support through Safer Communities on 9244 3734. That service is available Monday to Friday, 9 to 4, or you can call 1800 RESPECT on 1800 737 732, which is a 24-hour service. If you're a staff member, you can always contact the Employee Wellbeing Service on 1300 687 327. Thanks for listening, everybody, and bye.